Hello and welcome. My name is Molly Carmichael with Zonda's Inspirational Leadership Series and you are here with the industry's best. Today we are joined with the one and only Howard Englander. He's the owner and principal of the Englander Company today. And I want to share just a little bit about Howard before we begin. Howard started out as a teacher, no surprise to me, and after relocating, he fell into real estate consulting just by chance and to our great fortune, of course. He later formed his own research company and is known today as one of the best product leaders throughout the country. He does remain a great teacher today. He's a great writer, a researcher. He's truly an artist, a photographer, and again, uh, one of the nation's best product leaders known by so many, and so many follow what he does because he is so good at what he does. Today, Howard works exclusively with Shea Holmes leading their product, and I don't blame him. He's without a doubt the very definition of what I believe is a great inspirational leadership. He's not only a great friend to me, but he's certainly been a mentor over the years. And when I think about Howard's leadership, there are so many qualities to talk about that I really admire but what I admire most about Howard is not only his talent and his brilliance, but he's almost graceful in his approach and how he works with people. It And leadership does require so much more than just being brilliant and having exceptional talent, of which Howard has both of. But the number one quality to a great leader is the ability to collaborate, motivate, and really move those towards a better path together. And he's never wanting to do anything twice. He's always looking to move and change product with the generations, with what's going on today uh, and where we're going in the future. I'm gonna stop going on about Howard so you can hear from Howard himself. I want you to hear about really his own thoughts about inspirational leadership, his career, and what led him to where he is today. So it's my pleasure for sure to welcome Howard Englander. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Molly Carmichael and I'm here with Howard Englander. He's the president and owner of the Englander Company and uh, thrilled to have you here, Howard. Thank you, Molly. So good, gonna, to, good to be here. It's Yeah, I always love spending time with you. So let's dive into some questions. First of all, if you were to share with us um, what you do for a living, I'd, I'd love to hear your version of that. I work exclusively for Shea Holmes. And even when you say the owner and principal of Englander Company, that is almost a non-existent entity today. Um, you know, I feel I work and employed by Shea Holmes, which is a thrilling last chapter to my professional career. It's been about 25 years now. Wow. that I've worked exclusively for Shea Holmes. That's pretty neat. Well, I, I would tell you, for those of you listening today, you know, I think I've known of Howard the majority of my career, an incredible product legend, just somebody, when you're thinking about great ideas and inspiration and really an artful way of looking at home design, I think of you. And so, so with that, you know, just given sort of that foundation, let's go back way back when a, a very young Howard, and I'm, I always throw out the age of eight or nine or whatever. What did you want to be when you grew up? You know, I always imagined myself in the educational, humanistic realm. I see that for you. And I taught um, school for six years, three years in uh, here in El Segundo, California, fifth graders. What did you teach? 
I taught fifth graders, period. I fifth grade, their whole, like all education. You got math, you got English, you got geography, you got history. Oh, I would have loved to have been in that class. That would have been fun. Yeah, it was a joyous time. And then I, uh, I expanded geographically my teaching career and moved to Oregon, a small town called Sheridan. And I taught uh, middle school English there. Uh, which is probably where I was uh, originally destined as a teacher because I majored in English and I love literature and uh, and you're a beautiful writer. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So anyway, I I was a teacher and uh, for a variety of reasons um, I moved back to Southern California, had to uh, sort of uh, seek out a a new career only because at that time there was a uh, really a, a squeeze on the teaching profession. Mm. And actually, I was visiting a the unemployment agency with great trepidation and <laughs> apprehension. And thank goodness, before I got to the desk to do all the paper filling, I saw a little sign that said, Writer Needed. Walker and Lee. No way. And I had no idea what Walker and Lee was. It turned out that Walker and Lee was the largest residential broker for new homes in America. I had an interview with a lovely woman named Ione Lansfield um, for a, at that point, the position was more writing feasibility stuff. Sure. And her question was, have you ever done any professional writing? I said, no. Uh, um, Little so did I, she know what she was doing. <laughs> well, and I said, have you ever had any experience in real estate? And I said, no. And I was terribly unqualified. And she said, well, what, what writing have you done? And I said, well, I've done some short stories. I have some poetry. And strangely, these words came out of her mouth, send me three of your poems. And, at the, and I left thinking that that opportunity had passed me by. <laughs> and I did, I did send her three poems. And I got a call about two weeks later. And that call was prefaced with the comment, this might be one of the dumbest employment decisions I have ever made in my life but I liked your poetry. That is how I got into real estate. Wow. <laughs> so I spent five years at Walker and Lee. Uh, after two years, I was heading up their research department. That was a heck of a gut decision. Yes. So anyway, uh, I did not seek out real estate. I fell into it. Real estate sought out you. No, that's, that's a real magic moment for sure. Tell me this. Now, I know you have some history with photography. Yeah. And um, and also you lived in L.A. and there was definitely a passion and a desire for art. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I always loved photography. And um, in the mid 1980s, I uh, sought out a opportunity. It was a jury kind of thing to study for a couple weeks with a great documentary photographer, Mary Ellen Mark. Wow. And um, the class was in Maine, 
And I was juried into that class. And uh, that really sort of catapulted or intensified my love of photography, which was mostly documentary work. And in fact, um, subsequent to my time with Mary Ellen Mark, I went back to that school several times. Uh, ultimately, you're aware I found a home in Maine. Yes which, yes, which was also a historical highlight in my life because it brought my American experience into a different cultural zone. For sure. And so... We both have a love for Maine. Yeah, it's beautiful. That's right. You have yes. spent time in Portland. Yes. Um, uh, and Waterville. Oh, and Waterville where the university is. Yes, yes. And they have a great art museum on that campus. And, and the people are just so nice and yeah. genuine. Yeah. And yeah, it's just a neat yeah. place to visit. So for years, I did a lot of photography. And given my uh, Neanderthal technological skills, digital photography did not turn me on. It turned me off. Not and, a shocker. And, um, and the magic of film and not the instant gratification. Um, it was not who I was as a photographer. And the only time I actually picked up a, um, a digital camera was when I went to Cuba. It was very worthwhile because it was such a colorful um, uh, piece of this earth. Uh, and the Cuban people are just marvelous. So, but... Um, I talk about getting back to it, and I have a couple of very good digital photographer friends that say, one day we're going to take you by the collar <laughs> and work you over, and you'll get back to it. Well, so. the part I love about digital photography is there's this thing called a delete button. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have that one really bad picture that you're like, oh, so I do love that. So let's go back to, so you, so you join Walker and Lee. Tell us about that a little bit. Well, it was more, uh, that was the world of more of my uh, exclusively quantitative experience mm -hmm. in real estate. It was mostly feasibility work, uh, judging the viability of various properties and what product type to put on it. And it was only um, towards the end of that that I began to say, hey, that in and of itself is not a complete experience. Right. That, that the product, the qualitative side of the proposition mm -hmm. also had to be melded into the professional experience and began to emphasize uh, product and began to draw. And um, so, uh, and that was a five-year episode. And after five years at Walker Lee, um, I, I needed something beyond the um, auspices of a purely brokerage firm. Right, right. Okay. I wanted to move beyond that into more of a consulting firm and hence uh, the company Residential Concepts was initiated, which for a while was a very large company. And, um, and uh, I sold that company 
after about four years and then more exclusively dealt one-on-one with builders. With different clients. So on the on the product side, as you sort of went into more of the quantitative, and I like the approach of sort of looking at it more qualitative and really the more well-rounded approach, is that something that just naturally came to you? Was it just something you had a passion for, or how did you fall into it? You know, I, I like to think it initiates with, with the creative side. Sure. Right, right brain side. And I, you know, my comfort zone is more in the creative realm. Right. And watching something materialize. Mm -hmm. And hence, you know, I felt, although, you know, I feel I somewhat mastered the quantitative side. I mean, I can do the feasibility, but the gratification and the joyous moment was born out of the creative adventure of saying, hey, here's a new product idea, here's a new concept. How's this for a different kind of site plan? To me, that's where the excitement resided in the business. Oh, for me too. Yes, I'm sure. I totally am. I'm sure. So so as you started to kind of move to more of that qualitative, now you're coming from a very quantitative background. So so from that perspective, you can do the two plus two is four. Everybody understands it. I, I find in my own career, it's very easy for me to get a point across as long as I can say, and by the way, you're going to make more money doing X, Y, and Z. But in the product side of things, it becomes, you certainly can can qualify that and quantify, but there are some times where it's like, you're just, you just know it. You know, it's an intuitive very artful thing. How do you get that across? And how did you sort of approach doing things different? Well, I I think one thing that was almost imperative is you can only verbalize a concept so far. And ultimately, you have to try to put it on paper. And there wasn't that uh, natural pathway where you could go to an architect and say, hey, I have a different idea for a home. So my inclination and impulse was to say, let me try to draw it myself. Mm -hmm. And I found if I could go into a meeting with a new idea and have some, some semblance of a sketch they can see what you were talking about. They can see what I'm talking about. And often, to me, the excitement is, you know, when we look at product, we can go to builder A, B, and C and say, here's their best plans and here's what we should do. Or you can go to builder A, B, and C and say, here's what they're not doing. Exactly. Here is what they're not doing that could be successful. And to do that, you also have to believe to a certain extent that if 75% of the people don't like something and only 25% of the people do, but nobody else is doing it, you're likely to sell a lot of houses. Right. And I think of a variety of concepts that were initiated uh, I can't 
I don't know whether I was the first or not the first, but when a prospect walks into a home and says, wow, that offers me a different lifestyle opportunity, you're more likely to capture the enthusiasm of that household and potentially make a sale. But I think even just coming into something fresh and different, there's just something about that experience when you walk into something, right? That just feels different, um, especially if it enhances how you live, right? So so talk about, so, so there are these famous kind of product presentations you got into taking a lot of pictures and, and really doing sort of these product shows, if you will. Um, I can remember with PCBC one time just saying like, wow, wouldn't it be neat to have Howard kind of just kind of show some of the products you've seen. How did that all evolve? Tell me about that, because I know there's well, two phases of that, right? Well, that's interesting, Molly, because part of it was born out of my love of photography. Interesting. Okay, so the original design audit was a um and that's what the that's what it was called a design audit. it was called the design audit and it would be a annual thing where i would select 35 projects which had a positive impact on me or they were learning lessons they taught me something i love that and during the early years i would photograph them all myself Okay, and I would carry around, I would go to builders with um, two screens. I was like a traveling <laughs> I had two screens. I had a big duffel bag with about 10 trays of slides. The reels of slides, right? The reels right? of slides. I do remember that. And we would, and actually it was very successful. I'd go into builders' offices and uh, say, we're gonna have a fun time. We're gonna look at 30 projects. Some of them I think are gonna be fantastic. And you might say, God, that stuff is terrible. And so let's talk about it. And those were great, great, great sessions. And eventually I got a little bit weary of the, of the photography aspect of the journey and hence John Bear a real architectural photographer that went to Brooks. Such a good eye. Yes, and so John joined, became partner in the adventure. He would do all the photography. I would pick the projects. I would script them for him, what I wanted, because when you walk into a, a new community, your natural instinct is storytelling. So you have to, as you're walking through the various homes and, and identifying the architectural achievements, uh, you're telling a story. So it was the, John and I had a, a natural synergism of, of here's what I want shot. Here's, you know, and John, so it was, it was a very, um, gratifying uh, time and uh, and finally it, I burned out on it it was now how many years did you do that for probably seven or eight years so that would be really fun so as part of the builder experience did they tell you what they liked why they liked oh, it and, right. and so you're collecting right. information while right. doing that right? right right 
Yeah, it was a very hearty conversation around that table. So now here's a question. Did you ever sit down with a builder and say, now this is number 20, hated it. <laughs> and let's talk through <laughs> where it could have gone better. Did you ever do that? Yeah, I think, I think certain discussions came forward because life is all about eye of the beholder. For sure. Okay, hence what I would say, boy, isn't that window treatment unbelievable? You know, the builder in the room might say, hey, too much clear, too expensive. Hey, you don't need to spend that extra 500 bucks on that uh, clear story windows. So to me... But that's the best part because that's actually where I personally have learned. Yeah, right. That's what I'm Right, saying. love that. You know, the learning experience of the original design audit worked. It was a mutual. It worked both right. ways. I mean, I walked out of there wiser. I hoped the builder client who just paid for the service, I hope they learned something. So it was, it was, I think, a very positive exchange. But, you know, it's really interesting in my own career, I've learned so much from having like the purchasing guy next to me or the construction person with me or whoever those different people are. They're like, you know, it's $120 a shutter. And, you know, to, to be able to integrate that into the design and say, gosh, you know, do I, where do I put it? Right. Yeah, because so much, a lot of my recommendations still today, I have to be reined in, <laughs> you know, you know, because, <laughs> you know, and it's, uh, it's even more acute today, given the operational challenges that we're facing at this moment in time. Oh, Prices are just insane. Uh, right. right. So, yeah, you I know, agree. it's so. Well, let's talk a little bit about that from a product perspective. So you so you did those presentations, you went to different builders, and then comes Design Lens. How does Design Lens get bored? This, well, Definitely a favorite of mine. Too, first sure. of all, first of all, you have to start with two or three beers. <laughs> okay. And those that'll two, be later, Howard. Those, <laughs> those two or three beers for shared was my son Josh and the architect Michael Woodley. Love both of them. At, at a at a uh, at a bar prior to a hockey game that Michael nice. Woodley invited me to, and we're sitting there, and Mike says, "You know, everybody misses the design audit." You, you got to find some way to, to <laughs> can you computerize it? Can you do it? People loved it. I said, Mike, you're talking to the wrong human being. <laughs> we went to the hockey game. And about three or four days later, my son Josh knocked on my skull and said, Dad, there was an idea there that you failed to recognize. Can I explore it? And so that is how Design Limbs is born. And we integrated my daughter, Jennifer, into the process. She somehow contacted Steve Chen, mm -hmm. who was the creator of YouTube. Right. right. And, and he was the original programmer. How did she get a hold of him? I, I don't. Just fell across it? I don't recall. But he created the original format for Design Lens, which so Jenny handled the technological side of the enterprise. 
Josh handled the marketing side of the enterprise and I handled the content aspect. Perfect. And John Beer handled the photography. So it was like getting the, the whole game together with some additional, you know, digital geniuses. Right. And then one of the highlights of Design Lens was when, or post the recession, where Design Lens uh, was eliminated because of the crisis in the housing right. industry, one Molly Carmichael I know, I re-championed know. it. Definitely a favorite of mine. And brought it to John Burns and it brought it to life for a second chapter. So thank you. Yes. Thank you. No, it was definitely uh, definitely something I used through my whole career. And I would tell you for me, it was just a great catalog of density and, and still is today, by the way. Um, and I, it's just such a great resource to be able to kind of not only stay up on trends, but also just to be able to have sort of that, um, you know, today what I do is just like pockets, right? So such a cool, such a cool idea. So so now let's move forward. So, so going back, I want to go, um, we're going to go backwards and then we're going to go forwards. So l- let's look back at your, so your Walker and Lee days, you move out of Walker and Lee, you go and you start your own company. And then, and then what do you do after that? Um, you know, it was, it was where most of my time after I sold residential concepts. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, Bob Clauser. Oh, yes, of okay. course. Yeah, Bob, great guy. Bob took it over. He's a fantastic consultant analyst. Yes. Uh, superb. Ultimately, another good eye, right? Ultimately, became a VP for Pardee mm-hmm. and residential concepts went away. And then, I, as that faded, I'm dealing with multiple builders. I'm still doing feasibility, but I'm still doing product. And, and Carol Lind, mm-hmm. analyst. Uh, Leanne, my wife, yes, an analyst. Hey, you met your wife at Walker and Lee, right? I did. Yes. 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 Um, I, the Englander company sort of became residential concepts again, but just not, evolved, but not on as big a scale okay. as residential concepts. I mean, okay. residential concepts once had like. 20 employees, which in today's world, in, in the Zonda world or the John Burns world. Oh, that's a lot of employees. Not much. For employees I would want in. But in those days, yes. it was a pretty big company. Yes. Uh, but I wanted to keep things small mm-hmm. and uh, be involved in all aspects. So the Glender Company, once again, uh, did feasibility and product studies. Now, that's an interesting question. So so looking back, you were part of Walker and Lee, which became a very big company, as I understand it, right? And then, of course, you had your company that was big. And then you chose to really go sort of more small niche kind of. Why? Because I'm not an administrator. Okay. <laughs> Me neither, by the way. <laughs> I am not an accountant. I am not a no. lawyer. Um, I am not a, you know... Managers, that's questionable. But I, I wanted involvement. And I felt that I did not have that uh, opportunity in a 
large company. And, uh, and I could be more selective as to my clientele, which was also, I wanted guys and companies, men and women that loved what I loved, which was product creation. Uh, let's be adventuresome. Let's uh, pass through a, a new threshold of opportunity. And so, you know, it's like anything else. I'm sure maybe with you too, the interface with some companies provide, provides for much greater gratific professional gratification than others. You know, and, that, and not to say those that I wasn't inclined to work with aren't great companies. They're just different. Right, right. It's painful for me when I see an opportunity and I'm like, no. <laughs> like, you will get, I promise you'll get paid more. Um, and they're like, no, you know, yeah, that's tough. So, so how did you get, now you're, let's fast forward, you're working now with Shea Helms. How did that relationship or marriage evolve? And well, it started in 1978 when Roy Humphreys called me and, and said, uh, at that time, the preeminent research firm in this area was Market Profiles, mm -hmm. Bill Mitchell. Mm -hmm. yes. Great man, Boyd, yep. great professional. And Bill had decided to become a builder and wasn't doing uh, research anymore. Roy had somehow caught my name in some situation and I started doing consulting for Shea in 1978. And uh, were you working with Bill before? With Bill Mitchell before? No, I, I okay. never knew him, but never worked with him. Oh, loved him. Yeah, great man. Great man. Um, and so, my initial involvement with Shea traces back 45 years. Wow, 45 years. And, and, but for, you know, what would I say? 20 years or 15 to 20 years, I don't know the numbers exactly. You know, I still had a lot of other clients, be it, you know, Lenar, Lion, Catellus. Um, but there was all there was always that special love and feeling at home with Shay. There is something really awesome about the Shay family and the team that I can't even explain it. Well, the Shea, there really is the, the the benevolence and philanthropic qualities. Good words of the Shay family are extraordinary. I agree. And their outreach in terms of helping others, mm -hmm. doing the right thing, is very, very uh, noble. You know, there was a point in time, be it 24, 25 years ago, where the stress level once again became to create in terms of Shay and this other builder looking at the same property. Sure. And my deal was, hey, I want you to know that I'm doing it for both of you. I'm giving you the same numbers, but it always felt to me uncomfortable. I know what you mean. Very uncomfortable. And at that point of time, you go through chapters of your professional career and you say, 
once again. And that's what my career has been. Chapters, I said, what would it feel like to work with the one builder from whom I draw the most satisfaction and, and raw happiness? And that was Shea Holmes. And there, you know, and irrespective of a little bit of the fi financial penalty I might have suffered, to me, the gift right. was big. And so they were excited, I was excited, and that's how it's been for the last almost 25 years. <laughs> oh, they had to be clicking their heels. What, um, so, now, mind you, it's it's one company, but how many divisions at the time, and how many divisions? Well, today? when I so, <laughs> it's no small task. Know. When I started in 1978, there was only Southern California and the beginnings of Northern California. Really? Right. Okay, interesting. Then San Diego came, and a guy I don't know if you ever met Tom Noon. Oh, yes, of course. Tom Noon of course. started San Diego. Nice. And then actually Arizona came about because I had a very close relationship with Canal Holmes, who was one of the three biggest builders in Arizona and brought a, uh, the Shea family and the Canal family together. Wow. And that's how Shea, then Shea initiated Arizona, then it initiated Adult, which your I friend, was your friend Rick Andreen, yes. who, you know, is a great visionary as far as in the design realm. And then we... Uh, so Rick started that trilogy. I don't think I realized he was the... The initiator and the starter, Rick, but I do remember it. I do remember the transition and. Oh yeah, no. Rick started Georgie. Oh, that's awesome. Rick started adult housing for Shea Homes. That's pretty great. Yeah, yeah and he was there for quite some time. Right. Looking back at everything you've been involved in, do you have a favorite home or a favorite neighborhood? Boy, that is a tough one, Molly. You know. And you can. It's, it's like asking I would say, to take you know child. what it is? No, actually, I think I can. It's right here up the street, Ocean Ranch. Really? And Ocean Ranch. Um, you know, I know the community for sure. I mean, you know, the entry was the waterfall on oh, both yeah. sides. And we had a lot of that was, was Burkus. Uh, who do we use there? Burkus and Jamie Stark. And one of the things I loved best was, I don't know if you ever saw the prototype Riviera, which is the fourplex all flats. And you can see it as you drive now down the Gale Road, how beautiful it is. Ocean Ranch. I'm going to have to look at Ocean up. Ranch, just rank is one of them. And nice. also, also up in Northern California, Silver, Silver Creek. Silver Creek. Now, what did you like about Silver Creek? Silver Creek, it was just the mix of product. We repeated the Riviera project up in Silver Creek and just how to preserve landform, not mutilate landform. Right. You know, respect the topography right. and the undulation and 
and avoid a, a, a masquerading. That'd be permanent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it was a golf course community. It was just, I don't know if you ever, I mean, I drove through it a couple of years ago and it's still just a, just a great place. South San Jose. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm definitely going to run home and do my homework and look both of those up. So I'm going to ask you a couple of uh, a couple of questions just about you. So, so if you were not working, what would you be doing? I hope I would be teaching. Yeah. I hope I would. The circle would take form, and I, I could teach. You're a natural teacher. And the other thing I would be doing is writing. I'd be teaching and writing. What about your favorite place to visit? You know, my wife and I have been to Paris probably 20 times, 20 plus times in our, in our long marriage. And still to this day, I love that city. And what I love most about it is just a table at a sidewalk cafe and watching the world go by and just, just sitting there. But I, I just... To this day, and what I what I really love about it is that as a young man, prior to any marriage or involvement, <laughs> I was there uh, once for seven straight weeks, and still today, the heart of that city remains the same as to what it was sixty years ago. I mean, the car styles by James, the fashion a little, but the core, the architectural core of the city remains intact. It is that old classical world. And- uh, There's something about that timeless yeah, that yeah, is magical. Timeless is the right word. Right. So I'm gonna ask you to give me a word for a couple of, what word comes to mind when I say a certain subject? So what word comes to mind when I say people? Caring. What about design? Um, uniqueness. Affordability. Critical, important. Authentic. Lasting. I love that. That's perfect. That's a great word for authentic. Um, I have two more questions for you, but before we go to that, tell us a little bit about your family. You have a couple of new additions to your family, right? I have four kids. Uh, my older daughter lives in Aptis near Santa Cruz up north. Was a lovely man. We hold very dear. And that's Jenny, right? That's Jenny. And then my son, Josh, has uh, made Europe his home. He spent three years in Scotland and the last five years, going on six now, in Germany. Uh, he has a great job at an advertising agency in Berlin. And it's always a strange story because you talk about circles because my family escaped Germany in 1938. Really? So here my son is living Oh, that just in the chills. same city where my father lived prior to his escape from wow. Nazi Germany in 1938. So 
It's always interesting. How, and he's a bit of a creative genius, too, as I recall. Uh, he's a great, great writer, yes. superb writer, and also has that real creative edge. And, 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 and you have a couple of grandchildren with... I have two grandchildren. I have I've seen a, pictures. They're adorable. I have a 25-year-old who lives in Copenhagen and is uh, who came to visit us this last holiday with her lovely Latvian boyfriend. And, nice. and now they're in the process, given his job, as which I don't quite understand because it's sort of an astrophysicist, which is beyond my realm of understanding. They're moving to Switzerland. Wow, quite the traveling family. Well, that gives you good reason to get out there. Uh, and then uh, my younger daughter is a is a uh, teacher administrator in LA schools and lives up in Altadena with her husband and my 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 rambunctious and beautiful four year old granddaughter. Nice. And then my younger son Brett. Fortunately, lives right in Laguna, where we can visit, and uh, with his wife Taylor and his newborn, four-month-old son Finn, who I got to see yesterday. Uh, Isn't that the best? So he's smiling now, and all that stuff. Oh, that's so cute. That is the best. Okay, so let's. We're going to wrap up with mentors in your career. Who were the mentors in your career? And then my final question will be outside of your career, who are your outside inspirational people? But inside your career, who were your top mentors? I would think, uh, uh, I would have to put right up there William Kennicott. Okay. Who used to run the McCarthy Company and was one of those guys that said, don't come back unless you've got something really, really different. <laughs> and, and I can tell you a great story that, that he sent me back to Virginia to do a study. He was uh, headquartered here in Orange County. In fact, Bill McFarland used to work for Bill Kennicott oh, nice. at McCarthy. Uh, who you, of course. You know, from Irvine days. Of course. And uh, I go back there and, you know, the stuff back east, it's... it's it's five, four, and a door. Right. You know, right. it's very compartmented. And it came back and said, Salt hey, box. Yeah, I can't. You know, all these houses are so compartmented. You know, nobody's opening up these houses where there's, you know, internal vistas and expansive views inside the house. And uh, his team um, uh, back there, great bunch of people. Um, made the recommendation, said, hey, we can't do that. I mean, people will not receive that. And Bill said, we're going to try it. And that, and that project Never was that. called Fairfax Crossing. And it was the best-selling project in that immediate market area for two years and sold out very quickly. And it goes back to what I said. Hey, I bet there were a lot of people that walked in there and said, I don't like it. But for those that did and were excited by something different, you know, nobody else was doing it. And then another, you know, Roy Humphreys, who ran Shea Home for so long, was just a great mentor as far. And Roy had an amazing uh, talent 
for product. He is a guy that really, you know, saw the third dimension. And then as far as inspiration, you know, I'm just inspired still today. I mean, when people say, why are you still working? It is really partly the people I'm working for. And that's once again, the Shea family and, and the inspired leadership of Bert Selva and Peter Shea Jr. All great. Is just to me, it would be hard to give it up. They're a family know? for you. Yeah, and then you back, you backdrop that with John Shea Jr. and all the Shays. I mean, it's just one, whatever, whatever the the uh, the internal linkage is. I mean, I could be, I could not be more gifted with who I am working with and for. I feel very fortunate. Well, my hunch is they feel very fortunate too. You know, it's it's interesting. Um, I would tell you, just so you know, I mean, I, you're a mentor from a distance from me, just seeing all the presentations and all the work you've done. Certainly the resource from Design Lens and just even all the involvement in the designs. I mean, I, I literally will track Shea Designs because mm -hmm. of what comes out of the companies. Just so thoughtful and and frankly pushing the envelope yeah. and doing yeah. something different. Yeah. So um, with that, I would love to thank you. I'm you know for everything, not only your impact on me but the industry and uh, and for being here today. Thank you for joining us today. This is Molly Carmichael with Howard Englander today. It was such a pleasure to, to join him and I hope that you'll join us next time.